0: Today's story is called What Colour Is Your Violence and is my reflection on Black Lives Matter protests in London. As a writer you have to take risks. You might get it wrong but you have to try. What colour is your violence? Our sledgehammers and our pickaxes smash into the bronze. The hollow statue is splintered and destroyed. It falls in pieces from its plinth All power shattered, all symbolism crushed, and for a moment the air is delivered from myth. Ivor Roberts-Jones's masterpiece is torn down. Only eleven statues now line Parliament Square. The great crouching hulk is no more. Malevolent giant dung beetle that you wear, we've ripped you from your altar and pulverised your status. For one night only, no doubt the oppressors will rebuild their monument. We know this. We know that the trumpets proclaiming apocalypse will sound within the hour. British civilization and all it stands for, though not all on whom it stands, will howl with the agony of indignation. A new bronze, perhaps not bronze but gold, twice the size, with permanent armed guards, will be unveiled." the same design, but this time magnified and built to last eternity, will be installed to the accompaniment of Rule Britannia, while any public criticism of the racist legacy of Churchill will be made a crime, punishable by lifetime banishment from the sceptred isle. We know all this. So, we will tear down the new statue, and our hammers and our axes will chip away patiently at the edifice of empire until it is dismantled, not only on the plinths and columns of public space, but in the minds and hearts of the rulers and the ruled. Not likely, but we'll give it a try. Most likely, we'll be in jail, serving absurdly long sentences to set an example, or we'll have our skulls staved in by shrieking mobs of fascist patriots, red, white and blue in the face. Actually, just white. We'll be defeated, we know this. We are prepared for this. But we will have sent our message, and our message will have been heard by all those with knees on their necks and boots in their faces, the black, the poor, the young, the different. And the revolution, yes, the revolution, not rounds of unconscious bias training, will in some blessed possible future rage like a forest fire through the land, a fire scorching all privilege and burning all hatred, and we will have been its anguished human kindling. But for now, we're going to try and see if we can get away with this act of purposeful destruction. The main event, so to speak, is going on in the city. There's a big demonstration, and extra police have been drafted in to protect the property of the powerful, as usual. This enables us to get to Parliament Square, where, as we had hoped, there is a slight depletion of resources. Our lightning strike is effective, the hoarding comes down with ease, and we unleash ourselves on the statue. I imagine the supercilious voice raging at us. I imagine the repetition of past utterance. I do not admit that the dog in the manger has the final right to the manger, though he may have lain there for a very long time. Conquest justified, torture and rape redeemed. A stronger race, a higher grade race, has come in and taken their place. Might is right. Tell us something we didn't know. Mohandas K. Gandhi stares at our misdemeanours as Winston mumbles. A beastly people with a beastly religion. So much for Indians. What about East Asians? I hate people with slit eyes and pigtails. I don't like the look of them or the smell of them. What shall we do then with the wretched of the earth, Mr C? I am strongly in favour of using poisoned gas against uncivilised tribes. Make no mistake, we are an uncivilised tribe. And here they come to remind us. A delegation attempts to arrest us. Much scuffling ensues. Batons, shields and tasers versus hammers and picks. There are casualties on both sides. Blood flows, screams echo, the thud of truncheon on bone, the crack of axe on helmet. The police carry out their remit, the maintenance of property rights and the protection of the wealthy by violent means. We carry out our remit, the smashing of property as resistance. We all give our bodies to the cause. But bodies are worth so much less than objects. We struggle to get away. Some are down, some are caught, though a few of us wriggle free. William and I drop our tools and run for it. He yells at me to duck and weave through the streets of St James, separately, mind, and to meet up again on the bus to Brixton. So we dive into the warren and we wrap the city's incognito cloak about us. We would shed our names and our identities to escape, to become invisible, but we know we risk discovery and perfidy at every turn. I love him, but at some level I understand he must be asking himself, can I trust a white woman? Two hours later we are walking down the triangle and the air crackles with danger. We are strangely younger, our clothes more flamboyant, but our anger no less intense. Such movements back and forth are disturbing, but we are growing used to it. We feel the fury of these streets Atlantic Road, Railton Road, and Myall Road, our beloved triangle and front line. It is 1981, and something is about to happen. Thirty or forty police and a hundred or so of us, mostly black but not all, here to reclaim the right to walk freely in our own part of the capital. Tired of being stopped, tired of being searched, tired of the so called strategy of Swamp 81 whereby continuous police harassment of the black population of Brixton is expected to curb crime, whatever that means. A brick is thrown and it smashes the windscreen of a police van. They huddle and discuss their options, then suddenly they charge. A barrage of rocks and stones comes their way, but they run through it and start to lash out here and there at anyone who has the temerity to stand against them. "'People are down and being kicked, faces are stamped on. "'It is impressively indiscriminate. "'Young and old, black and white, everyone is in for a thrashing. "'We're all frightened now, all cowering one moment and defiant the next. "'I search for William and find him with some of our neighbours. "'They have milk bottles, cotton wool and petrol. "'We're committing ourselves to insurrection.' Surely it was only the vast crowds that Gandhi could call on, only the sheer numerical disparity between the Indians and the British that gave peaceful civil disobedience a chance. My pacifism shrivels as I'm handed a Molotov cocktail. William lights the cotton wool and I run forward to throw my weapon. Oh, how it arcs beautifully through the air, a flame in the night, a beacon warning of the wars to come, of the pitched battles, the baton charges, the horses and the armoured cars, the military force, the wars to come and the wars behind, the vicious ineptitude of the British state, when all that was ever required was apology, acceptance and, of course, the unspeakable horror of real equality. As a couple, we've grown used to the looks of disapproval how could she? We shrug off the spoken comments. It's disgusting. It shouldn't be allowed. Bringing half-castes into the world. Make them stay with their own kind. You're letting the side down. Dirty hussy. Filthy whore. My parents, who could not mask their alarm. My friends, who smiled their exotic curiosity smiles. And behind it all the fear, the hatred. But what are they really like? No, but surely, don't you think? I mean, why can't they go back to, you know, wherever they come from? So, what do we do in the face of it all? What can we possibly do or say? We speak, we march, we love, we riot. And now they're dragging William by his hair, dragging him across the rough ground, over broken glass, over beaten bodies. They are hauling him to the open jaws of a black Maria. They bundle him inside. They're packing the young men in like sides of meat. Oppress, arrest, incapacitate. The old colonial strategy. What do you do when the downtrodden raise grievance? You reject, you deny, and you punish. William looks at me from the cage. There are tears on his cheeks. And the officer swats me away with the back of his hand. I stagger, then I try again. A fist for my efforts, then a kick and a spit. How could I betray my race with the likes of him? And the van snarls away into the night, taking its captives. And William's face is pressed to the tiny window. And as I cough blood onto the road on my hands and knees, I think I see a pure despair in his eyes. Can we ever bridge the yawning chasm of mistrust? Can a love affair ever do battle with the deep instincts of history? I crumple and lie on the road. A kindly old black woman gently prods me to see if I'm alive and helps me to turn over. I tell her I'm fine. I tell her the police have taken my man. She nods, she hugs me, and then she wanders away through the carnival colours of burning Brixton. There are overturned cars smoking in the heat. There are buildings on fire, sputtering and shrieking in the mad uproar of evening. Shards from windscreens and shopfronts glitter. Bricks are scattered everywhere, and garbage is smeared across the streets. This is the aftermath of conflict, We are all breathing deeply. We are all calculating the next move. I have to find him. After six long months, he is to be released. One of the unlucky ones who were given custodial sentences to deter the rage of the mob. The city's prisons are now merely holding pens for young black men. I have watched him age. My visits have tried to bring comfort, but the anger is simmering and the stress of injustice creases his beautiful face. However... The waiting is over now at last, and I stand outside this brooding palace of retribution. As the door opens, I feel that familiar tug of distortion, and I am flung deep into the past. Your property, I believe. I have come in person to reclaim what is mine. The runaway is bound at the neck and the ankles. Iron shackles as befits the ungrateful. No matter, we are but a short walk away, and the public display, the public reminder of station and duty, should be chastening. I have named him William, that is, after his would-be benefactor, Wilberforce, whose valiant struggle I have been following with a keen interest. I must confess that I am sympathetic, in theory at least, to the cause of abolition, but the law is the law, and I am not yet minded to make sentimental gestures that would deprive me of much-needed labor there are, to my mind, matters as yet undecided. For instance, does their brutish disposition and general lassitude stem merely from ignorance of Christian application, or is it an irredeemable characteristic rooted in nature? What role, what place, would the freed slave take up in a kingdom populated by his superiors? Are we to fear, perhaps, an inevitable ferment and social disruption from the unfettered sour rage of these people? No doubt they would seek some form of reparation for their years of servitude, childishly unaware of the tutelage and helpful instruction that kindly bondage has bestowed. Is it, in other words, simply too soon for the emancipation of souls, naive in expectation and unprepared for moral obligation? The clank of William's chains draws attention to our small party as we return home. I must ponder whether to add any physical punishment to the ignominy of this short parade through the neighbourhood. I dislike beatings of any kind, but it must be made clear to William that he has been most inconsiderate. The work he is tasked with completing is not, to my mind, arduous. He is provided with adequate nourishment and a clean bed. Certainly he has no access to the more refined delicacies and beverages which are served upstairs when we have guests but it is only out of consideration for his unsophisticated constitution that such items are withheld. Children grow naturally to maturity, but less civilised races must be guided towards enlightenment by their benefactors. And it seems that this process may have to unfold over the course of many years or decades before any success can be celebrated. We must all be patient. Wilberforce himself has heretofore only challenged the slave trade, "'not the existence of slavery itself. "'He is aware, of course, that it would be totally impracticable "'to enforce on those charged with the grave responsibility of ownership "'an anarchy of licence, whereby those released from the protection of strict order "'might be tempted by the evils of violent rebellion. "'This fear preys upon me, and I am minded that any foolish and weak-willed indulgence on my part "'might inadvertently help to spark a conflagration of hierarchy. "'I am resolved.' "'Though as mistress it is unnecessary that I am present "'for this domestic ceremony of reintroduction to the household, "'I am nevertheless clear that my presence adds solemnity and resolve "'to an otherwise unhappy circumstance. "'William is to be whipped, and I am asked how many lashes shall be applied. "'The punishment must indeed fit the crime, "'but there must also be no lasting damage done, "'regardless of whether William is considered as a potential subject "'or merely as a chattel. "'I decree that twenty is the appropriate number.' However, before the leather is deployed, it is necessary to strike off the chains. And here there is a natural justice. William is freed in order that he may accept willingly this benevolent restitution. The hammer strikes the iron and the iron breaks. He feels the relief of renewed circulation of the blood in his hands and feet. He is fully restored to me. Without any argument or insolence, he removes his shirt and kneels. I give the signal and I count out loud. And when it is done... I sense the deep sorrow of the righteous judge, knowing the full gravity of what has passed. Thank you for listening. Please share.